If you're looking for success, it's in the details. Small hinges move big doors. And now your host, Karen Allen. Hello, beautiful friend. Welcome back to another episode of In the Details. I'm your host, Karen Allen. My guest today is Avange Lavanos. She's a 20-year music industry veteran and co-founder of Alternate Side. After years of serving as a senior executive for other talent management firms and, and music firms, Avange made the bold decision to step out from her position and launch her own management firm that prioritized a holistic approach to the whole artist that was in her care. As a fierce advocate for artist rights, she founded her first music management company on a laptop in her bedroom. You heard that right. We all have small beginnings. <laughs> she even, you know, shares that she put herself into debt while building her business. Uh, again, I can relate to that. <laughs> So even though Avange found herself financially destitute, she was still determined because she knew she was on to something. She was able to identify artists with big potential whom she genuinely admired, while also cultivating a company that prioritized mental health and financial independence for the artists that were under her management. Now her company, which before was Synergy and now Alternate Side, represents platinum and gold talent with over 5 billion streams in these genres, alternative, rock, indie, electronic, and metal. And Alternate Side also maintains a holistic approach to management that empowers artists to sustain long-term success on their own terms. The reason I am so excited to have this conversation is because this is just another part of the world that is combining not just the gifts and talents that we hold as humans, but also our needs, especially those needs that sometimes go unseen. So I'm looking forward to getting in the details with Avange. Avange, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. I have my cat on my desk who's really <laughs> trying to get in here. So, <laughs> so here she is. That's <laughs> That's all right. Between the kitty over there and a puppy over here, we are yeah. just like fully surrounded <laughs> by our furries, right? <laughs> I just, I can't control this one. She's 13 and she's the boss. So that's how <laughs> they, we're doing today. <laughs> they usually are. They usually are the boss. <laughs> I'm only puppy sitting and still she is the boss when she's here. Nice. <laughs> well, I am very interested in hearing about because, you know, I've experienced this and and uh, I think a lot of our listeners, a large demographic of our listeners probably went through a similar transition of I worked somewhere, but now I'm going to take this huge leap of faith to start my own business for one reason or another, right? For me, I was kind of pushed out, <laughs> but others decide to pursue it on their own. So I am curious, what inspired you to take that leap and shift from working for a management company to starting your own? I think, I think some of it was just ignorance and really unknowing what I was embarking on, what I was led with was a passion for the type of music I wanted to represent and be a part of. I was working for a company that was primarily metal bands, which was great, but I don't particularly like, I don't really listen to a lot of metal. So it wasn't my passion. My passion was more along the lines of like emo and pop punk and stuff that I grew up on in my early 20s. And when that genre started to resurface again, I just want, knew I wanted to be a part of it. 
And I knew I wanted to do it on my terms. I felt I had enough relationships from the years of doing this that I wanted to just kind of do it on my own, my own way. And I don't think I really thought it through. I was just like, oh, I'm going to do this. And here's a band I love and I'm going to represent them. And here's an email address I made on Gmail and let's go. And that was my company start. (laughs) Honestly, that's the best way to start. Sometimes I think about how some kids learn how to swim and the parent just throws them in the deep end. They're like, you can figure it out. And you know what? They usually make it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's true. I think the key is just not overthinking it because I am an overthinker. And if I truly started to overthink it, I never, ever would have moved forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sometimes it does take just one big leap. I mean, we use that as, you know, a metaphor, but no, it really does feel like that. But growing up, did you always know that you were going to be in the music industry? I mean, it sounds like you have a love for music that you probably tapped into very young, but did you know that you would end up in the music industry? No way. I'm first generation. My father's born in Greece. My mother's American. She's in Scranton, but I'm also first generation Scrantonian, I say, because she doesn't ever, has no desire to leave Scranton, never had a desire to travel. Totally fine being in Scranton. My father's from Greece. Together, my mom's a housewife. My dad owns a diner. I had a very, somewhat, you know, my mom listened to records and my dad was very big into like Greek music, but I didn't know this was a job and I don't believe it was a job 20 years ago, officially and formally outside of those like managers of, you know, Motley Crue and like those kinds of like, fuck you, pay me kind of manage. Like you didn't hear stories about female managers, but you didn't hear stories about managers of small bands of developing acts that make no money because you don't imagine those people have guidance or, or, or managers. So Um, I had no idea. I went to school to be a teacher. I have a degree in elementary education, certified K through six. My parents pulled some strings after I graduated to get me a job at the elementary school that I went to, which was literally across the street from my dad's diner. Like we're talking like I was never going to leave. Everything was right there for me. So that's what I thought my life was going to be. And it just wasn't until I had a couple guy friends in the the town that were in bands that would play shows. And they worked in my dad's kitchen as like dishwasher. And I became friends with them and they opened up a world of like bands and like live music and, you know, going to a venue and seeing an all ages show. And at the time it was like hardcore bands and people were moshing. And I just remember being completely enamored by this culture that I had no idea existed because I was a pop girl. All I listened to was pop because I danced from age four to like 21. So I didn't know that there was like a genre of music that was existing under a bubble and it wasn't on the radio, but it still had three to 500 kids coming in that door, waiting in line, paying money for a ticket and freaking out at the shows. And man, was that just the most eye-opening thing when I saw that. I was like, I just want to be a part of music. I didn't know I wanted to be a manager. I had no intention on ever being a manager at all. Mm, That is so interesting. But honestly, music does that, right? It just grips you. It grabs you by the heart, by the soul. I was telling you before we hit record, like music is my love language and all genres. Well, now that we're talking, not metal, I don't really listen to metal, (laughs) but, but even, you know, going back to other decades or, you know, again, listening to music from other countries, I love music so much because 
I feel like it just, it really gets beyond all of the things that we focus on from a surface level. And it really touches you so much deeper because music can put you in a mood. It can take you out of a mood, you know, it's storytelling or it's just energetic. Like it just gives you so much more than again, what we usually experience at surface level. So I, I can see how once you were exposed to that, you're like, hold on, hold on. I'm trying to be all in on this. Exactly. Exactly. Now, was that the first band that you decided to manage? How did you cut your teeth in this? If you all of a sudden, I mean, going from elementary school, you know, teacher to music industry, tell me what that experience was like of, of finding your way through that transition and exploring. I don't think it's something that exists today. The reason it was able to happen was because it was pre-internet. You know, we had AOL.com. It was pre-cell phones. It was just word of mouth. So for me, I was born in Scranton, Pennsylvania. And there was a friend of mine who was from Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, who's like 30 minutes outside. And she had lived, she moved to Philly and she had like a, a an independent booking agency. And she was a booking agent for like punk bands that, again, a whole generation, a whole genre, a whole area of music that you don't think exists because the only things that you know is the radio. So, but there are booking agents and managers for the sub tier of music. And so she was a young 22 year old, 23 year old booking agent for these punk emo bands that nowadays are our legacy acts. We knew our parents knew each other. They're from like neighboring islands in Greece. Like it's the weirdest thing. And she has the same first name as me. Her name is Evangelia. And she had a company and everybody would be like, you need to know Eva, you need to know Eva. So I, I met her and we became friends. And after college, we kept in touch. And I just said to her, like, yeah, you know, like, I don't know if teachings for me, because I was helping like the local band dude friends of mine sell merch or trying to help put on a music festival in the town. Like I was just kind of helping as much as I can on the side. And Eva said she had a spare bedroom at her house in Philly. And if I wanted to move there. So I went up for a weekend. I loved it. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to move to Philly. And I gave up my job as a teacher. And I worked at the Gap on South Street. And that was kind of my digs. And I, she had her booking agency in the basement of her house. And eventually I started helping out and that's kind of how it started where I started helping out. She had a couple bands. She passed over to me that were small that I started kind of booking. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I was just kind of like running with it and following her lead. And she at the time probably didn't know what she was doing. She was also just 23. Nobody did at that point. Like neither did the bands. They were just like taking off and everybody was kind of like, whoa, all right, this is cool. So that kind of got my foot in the door. And and just by being out, she and I would go to shows. I mean, two shows a night in Philly. You know, we, we had so many bands on the roster that were all thriving and they were all doing well. And this was before the genre of emo exploded into mainstream. So these bands who now, if, if these tours existed today, they'd be massive. I was just helping her. I had my own roster we would go to New York for shows when our bands would play New York. We were just out and about. We were busy bodies galore. We knew everyone. We were everywhere. This is a social job. So we we networked all the time. And that kind of helped me be able to know enough people to develop into an agent. 
And then when I realized being an agent wasn't my favorite, I found a band that I loved that had been sent to us in the mail, like a CD with like a letter, which we would get like piles of CDs sent in the mail. Again, like again, this is old school, right? This yeah. is back in the day. I feel you. Like, nowadays you're like, like <laughs> yeah. If anybody sends me anything in the mail, I'm like, what the yeah. hell is this? But it it's CDs and, and cassette tapes. There was no like, here's a link. There were no. That's what I was going to say. Too. Nowadays, you find someone's email address online and you send them yeah. a link. You don't even have access to addresses to actually send a Nothing. physical copy. <laughs> Nothing. It was like they knew our address because we had a website online, and that was. Or I think they might have asked, and we were we had relationships with with record labels, with indie labels that would send us their bands too for consideration. So she had this great little operation and I started managing my very first band that I found and thought was great. And I only managed them by accident. I was their agent. They didn't have a label. So as their agent, I was having label conversations on their behalf. And we got flown to LA. It was my first time going to LA. We had all these meetings in New York. We eventually signed to a label. I negotiated the deal and they asked me to manage them. And I was like, you know, I don't know what the hell I'm doing, right? And they said, we don't care. We trust you. And they had opportunities to go to bigger managers, but they trusted me. And and I thought that that was really an, an important lesson that sometimes it's not, you know, who's got the most juice, but who do you feel like you can trust with your business? Because the person that has the most juice may not mm-hmm. be the person you could trust with your business. That's a whole lesson right there. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I was 25 and I became a manager as I was also booking bands and I had moved on from the agency I was currently at with Eva to another agency. And then that agency got bought by an agency in New York and everybody was moving to New York from Philly. I decided I did not want to be an agent anymore and it did not take my offer. And I dropped all my bands that I was booking and I just took this band and I started to feverishly look for a job in New York City at a management company that would take me in as a day-to-day because I thought I truly needed the guidance of some like bigger management company to help this band blow up. Mm. And so I was putting the word out. I was looking for jobs. I mean, it was pretty interesting when I think about it. I wasn't even stressed. I was just, I should have been. I had no way of making money. And I did get hired at a company in New York and I commuted for three months, Philly to New York, three months Mm. was awful. Mm -hmm. And um, until I can find an apartment in Brooklyn and afford one. And I was not making any money. And I don't, I thought I was making a lot of money for Philly, but when you go to look for an apartment in Brooklyn, you're not making anything. So that was kind of how I got my rough start. And then once I moved to New York was kind of like, all right, I'm here, let's go. Mm-hmm. And then from there, I you know went to different companies and, and things like that. But that's kind of how I got there was just like word of mouth, step by step, knowing people that wanted to work with me and, and really liked the band that I was managing at the time. Mm-hmm. And so about how long after that then was your transition to take that big leap that we talked about a, a moment ago and to start Synergy. And I mean, you said that, you know, that you did it ignorantly, that you just decided to just go, but was there something that propelled you in into making that leap? Was there something that was like, no, I, I really do need to do this on my own? Yes. I just didn't want to work for someone else. I didn't want to be a cog in the wheel. Not that I have an ego or like I need to be in charge or seen or boss or anything like that. 
It was just that I, if I'm going to get woken up at two o'clock in the morning because of an issue on an Australian tour, it better damn well be because it's my problem and it's my band and it's my money. Mm-hmm. Not, you know, when you work for somebody else who has two houses and multiple cars and, and I'm, I'm living with a roommate in, in New York. And look, that's the job of a day to day. I get it. But it just became unfulfilling after time where I was like, am I like, is this going to be me forever? Am I forever going to do the shit work? Am I forever going to be a cog in the wheel? It didn't feel right to me. I wanted more. I wanted to make more of a difference in the lives of artists. Mm-hmm. And I found that I wasn't able to do that because you have limited power at a company that isn't yours and as a day to day which is good and bad. You know, sometimes if I screw something up, Hey, it's not my bad. You know, like I don't own the business. It's that mm-hmm. artist fires my boss because I fucked something up. That's not I, my salary stays the same. Mm-hmm. His numbers change. Now it's the opposite. So it's, it's much harder, but I just really didn't, I just didn't feel fulfilled being the person that was doing all of the day-to-day stuff. It just wasn't fulfilling to me. I wanted more. Mm -hmm. And honestly, that's something that a lot of us feel whenever we do go through that transition. Because on the other side of this, being a business owner and being an entrepreneur, it's not easy. It's not a walk in the park. It's not like you're leaving, you know, I don't know, maybe for some people it is. (laughs) I'm a little jealous of those people if if that is the, the case. But for the most part, that's not what it looks like. I mean, you get out there and now everything falls on you. You know, you are the visionary and you're the worker bee. What were some of the challenges when you started your company, your your music management company? What were some of those early challenges that started to shape the way you were doing business? Finances, massive challenge in the beginning. And the desire to want a company of people to work with me who shared the same ethos. But when you're not making any money and yet these younger managers aren't making money, how do you how do you do that? How do you make somebody feel responsible and accountable if you're not paying them? Mm-hmm. So that was a, a a challenge for sure. How did you navigate that? How how did you help them feel like they were part of it if it wasn't the monetary exchange that usually keeps people going? I took a loan out and I paid them salary mm-hmm. and they got paid before I did. Um, and healthcare before I did. And if there was a month that came about that would be low because in, in the music industry, there were months where like every single one of the artists that you work for is on tour or every single one of them's in the studio. And when they're in the studio, you make no money. Cause again, it was before streaming. It was when, you know, 10 years ago, uh, everybody was just starting to stream, but for the most part, the money was coming from tour. So if they were not touring, we made no money. So you, it'd be feast or famine constantly. So there would be months where it would be low and I wouldn't take any money. And I would make sure that the people that worked with me, and I only had a couple at the time, just, you know, I, I thought it was important to surround myself with younger people because when I started Synergy, I was 36, I think, 35. So, you know, it, not that that's old, but there's 10 years of stuff that's happened that's different now. Like, now that's the new way of doing things. And now it's constant. That's constant evolution. There's always new things happening. So I always wanted to make sure I was surrounding myself with young people. So I was taking young managers that had good rosters and wanted protection because strength in numbers. 
and I would bring them in um, and offer them a low salary and a recoup. And I had no idea what I was doing. I probably offered a great deal for them and a shit deal for me at the time, but I did what I thought was best and what felt right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I lost some along the way. Um, some people aren't company people. Some people weren't performing well. Some people's bands weren't performing well. And at the end of the day, I can only bleed money for so long. So that's kind of how I was able to keep them fed. Um, but finances was a massive challenge. And I think just the challenge of trying to work, like I'm still a manager. I still have, you know, four or five bands under me that I need to do the work for. But wanting to also form a business properly, LLC, mm-hmm. HR, insurances, payroll, all of that stuff I didn't know how to do. And luckily I have, you know, a business manager, a friend of mine that took my company on after a business manager prior to that kind of unfortunately mishandled some of my funds. And he's helped me throughout the years kind of stay legal. Like I'm doing everything by the books from taxes to everything, which without him, I wouldn't have been able to do that. So I think just forming a formal company while still doing the day-to-day work of what you've, you're hired to do is difficult and, and being a leader. And I, I still think that I struggle with that because you get so busy in your day when you're navigating, oh, these flights canceled and oh my God, this band's leaving for tour and we have to announce this and this festival pulled down and we just got this offer and we're on this tour. There's so many moving parts sometimes it's difficult to make sure you're being the best leader you can for your team. Mm -hmm. So that's a big challenge. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when things feel like they are, you know, in disarray or or maybe they're not working or maybe you are carrying, you know, a massive debt, which may be looming over you. How do you stay motivated? Like, it feels like there's a lot of ups and downs in the music industry. Hey, this is in lots of businesses and most businesses are ups and downs, but it seems very unique to the music industry. So my, how do you stay motivated when you have to, when you're constantly on that roller coaster? It is a, you have to be a very strong individual and even the strong struggle. I'm a very stubborn person. I don't like the word no. I don't like when people tell me no. I don't like when people tell me something isn't going to work. It pisses me off. So I will just keep going. And I think my desire to do right by my artists is what motivates me. There was a very scary time that I briefly mentioned when I was working with a business manager who I love very much, who was a close friend of mine. But we had this agreement where if it got to a point where my bank account dipped under a certain level, I stopped paying myself, everybody else gets paid till we get flush again. And he never told me that. And I was, I remember I was in Denver with an agent friend of mine and we were going to see one of our bands we worked on together. And I broke down in the, in the room with him and I'm like, I'm a failure. I'm going to go bankrupt. I don't have any money. I can't keep this company together. I can't do this anymore. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I fucked up. And he looked at me and he goes, what are you talking about? Like he, he was so funny. Like he, he, he was like, you're an idiot. Shut up. Like, basically, like, you're going to be fine. Because like, when you're in it, it feels so much bigger to people from the outside who look at you and think like, oh, wow, this is you're popping off. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I had to take out the loan because it was, I realized like, oh, my God, I'm in a bad place here. And I lost a really good employee because of that time. She was amazing, but she needed to be paid more. And 
I couldn't keep her. She was more of a day-to-day. Some of the bands she was managing weren't really bringing in a lot of income. So to kind of earn her keep, she did work under my roster for me for a salary. But the drive of wanting to do right for these bands and kind of wanting to save face and not let anybody, I'm like a cat. This is why I have cats. I go and lick my wounds in the corner and I'll come back (laughs) when I'm ready to go. And I'll be, no one will know, no one will be none the wiser unless they're, you know, the few and far between that I'm super tight with. But the, I think it's just the drive of wanting to do right by these bands. And like I said, I'm very stubborn. (laughs) It's a beautiful combination (laughs) because you're stubborn (laughs) for the right reasons, right? You're stubborn because you're an advocate for these bands. You're stubborn because you care about their career, but you also care about them as people, which that's what I found. I think that's what really drew me in when I was reading your story. You know, you talk about this wanting to do right by your bands and your, and your artists, but you do have this desire to approach their career from a more holistic, you know, viewpoint. Can you talk to us about why that's important to you and what you really mean by helping them from a holistic vantage? Sure. Well, I love my artists. I love them and I would do anything for them. And so when I chase an artist because I'm interested in in being their manager, it's because I want to rescue them from the ugliness of the music industry. And I want to bring them in somewhere safe and help them grow their career in a way where they may not get taught this in other places. And it's not like we're the Holy grail over here. Like I'm sure there's tons of independent managers that really, every manager cares about their artists. You have to, you have to be a certain personality. You're, you are a huge, awful, terrible human. If you are a manager and you do not care about your clients and you're just only after the money, there are people like that in this business. And luckily I don't ever deal with them, but I love my artists and I truly, truly care about their well-being and not just the well-being of their business, but them as human beings and what they're going to be when they're 40 years old, when they're in their forties, like me, I want them to think back and remember me and say, you know, that that crazy lady that I worked with for X amount of years, she, she really, she really set me up. Mm. So it's not just about making sure their records come out on time and that the label's doing what they need to be doing. Of course, it's part of the job. What I care about is teaching these, you know, I, we pick up artists that are 15, 16, 17. And I just picked up a, a band of guys that are 20 and 21 what the hell do they know about life? What the hell do they know about long-term investment? Unless they have like a dad or a mom that's a parent or an uncle that's like a financial person that's kind of ingrained in them. Most of them are artistic types and artistic types are usually not business types, right? They're not the numbers or the data. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No. And so very rarely are they coming to me being like, hey, Yvonne, you know, now that we've made this money, let's open a 401k. Like nobody's doing that. Mm-hmm. So we want to make sure that if we have an artist that's making a lot of money, they are very smart with it and they don't spend it all in one place. We get them business managers very early on in good or bad. You know, a business manager costs money. They're 5% of the gross income. That's a nominal amount of money if you ask me to make sure that your taxes are done correctly every year and you never get audited by the IRS. It's a nominal amount of money to make sure that you have someone there after tour to make sure that your tour manager didn't rip you off, your merch person didn't rip you off, your promoters paid you properly, they got the proper accounting from the booking agency. And that's all stuff that we look over too. 
but that is all they do all day long. They are laser focused on the, the financials. So a lot of artists and most managers, you know, do get business managers for their artists. We prefer not to touch their money because it can be a liability. God forbid I make the wrong call or I miss a decimal and mm-hmm. suddenly I screwed up. No, thank you. I, I do not want that that <laughs> responsibility. And it's, yeah. it's, it's a bit, mm-hmm. you know, we advise on, on money. We advise on how money should be spent, but I don't feel like managers should be responsible for touching the money. I think we should know what our artists have in the bank, but have a third party there to be in between it. It just keeps it a little bit more, I think, safe for the artist. Mm-hmm. Not that there's anything unsafe here, but I just think it makes just a little bit hands off for the manager mm-hmm. so that you could be a little bit more objective with it. Mm-hmm. And we also have long-term investment people. So if an artist does a deal, a, a publishing deal, and we get 450 grand for them or something like that, all right, give them 20 grand to fart around with if they want. And the rest needs to go away because at age 20, 21, 22, 23, what the hell do you need 450 grand for in your Chase bank account? Mm-hmm. You don't. So <laughs> unless you're trying to buy a car, or you want to put a down payment on a house, let's go. We'll work with the business manager and we'll go do that together. But the rest of it's going in a long-term high yielding account so that when you are 40 and you don't touch it. So when you are my age, you can look back and be like, holy shit, this is now $2 million because I put it away when I was 21 and this crazy lady wouldn't let me touch it and kept yelling at me every day to just trust her. And lo and behold, I've got all this money. And hopefully we add to that throughout the years, right? Hopefully it's not just that one chunk. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's making sure they are good as people. And we also make sure that, you know, mentally, they're okay. I saw That's that. I'd huge. love for you to dive, dive into that much deeper. Cause I think that is so unique. When you think about the music industry, you think of like drug, sex, and rock and roll. Like it's sure. party all the time, going hard. I mean, that's what you imagine. And I've known people in the music industry. I've also, you know, this is also in entertainment or athletics or all of this, right? It can get, and I think a big piece of this is what you're mentioning is having all this money at your disposal. What do you do with it? You take care of your entourage, you party, you have big trips, you have all... But your focus on helping them, again, the financial literacy is huge, but please, how do you help them with the mental health and well-being piece? I think it's just being involved and not being afraid to call them out if you see them struggling. Mm-hmm. I'm a very intuitive person with people. I can just tell how a person is. I don't know what it is about them, but I can sit down at a lunch meeting with someone and be like, Ugh, I don't want this, but I don't get this vibe. Something's off about this person. Or... I can just tell very, very quickly on if somebody's struggling. And I think it's just being aware and seeing how they behave on the road. And are they withdrawing? Are they not responding to you as fast? Or when I ask the tour manager, hey, how's everything going? How's their vibe? What's the vibe like? How's the band getting along? What's going on with the singer? Why aren't they responding to me? And hey, I think they're kind of struggling a little bit. And then I'll be like, okay. And then I schedule a call with the artist and I call them up. I'm like, what's going on? Talk to me. And I really just kind of make it a, a, an open and safe space. I remember one of my bands I've been with for 11 years. Mm-hmm. And um, when they were 17, 18, the singer was newly 18, I think. He made a song the night after he tried to flip his car on the interstate because he just, you know, he was, he was young. He had a breakup. He thought his life was over. And he called me right after and he goes, I just tried to my car. I was going fast on the highway. I just tried to flip my car. I ended up in a ditch and I just got stuck there. 
And that opened my eyes. This was really one of the first bands I managed like 11, 12 years ago. And I remember being like, oh my God, I didn't even realize this, but like I am responsible for these kids' well-being. And I talked to him. First of all, I had him on the phone for an hour and a half. I was like, do you know how much you matter? Do you have any idea how much you matter? And I think that was the first time he ever heard that maybe from someone outside of his family, but also with such conviction. And I think I called him every day for six months straight, every day. And we talked every day. And to this day, I am so close to him. He's like my kid. And that, you know, is not the relationship some managers have. And I'm not trying to be momager and I don't want to be seen as unprofessional because I am, I am as professional as they come in my craft. But I care about these kids because I didn't have anybody to talk to in my 20s. And if I had that like weird big sisters, crazy aunt kind of presence in my life, I think that that could have helped in certain, certain areas that I just kind of had to figure out on my own. But I will jump in and I will call parents. I will get them help from music cares. I will call psychologists, psychiatrists that I know that kind of help with artists and be like, hey, I got this artist and, you know, they're using a lot of drugs and da 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 da. I'm like, can you, what do you think? I have sober coaches that I've used throughout the years. I'm not ashamed whatsoever to just like fly out to a tour and be like, sit down, we're having a conversation. Because <laughs> sometimes no, you need that. Sometimes you have to, because even myself, like I'm not going to tell somebody something's wrong unless they, they pry it out of me. And mm-hmm. when you're in the go, 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 especially as an artist, I don't think, I think there's a pressure to not want to um, disappoint anybody and look like you're not on it when you know your team is like working hard for you. And I don't think they want to disappoint people. I've had to cancel an entire tour the night before the tour was beginning. One of my artists struggles with panic attacks, severe panic attacks. He's had it since he was seven years old. I've been managing this artist now for eight years. And early on in his career, he was on top of the world. He was in the New York Times. His song was buzzing. He was about to go to radio. This was his very first headliner that was set to like sell out. And he was. He was there, but he was having panic attacks and panic attacks leading up to the tour. And he would call me like, Avange, I'm like, I'm freaking out. I'm like, it'll be fine. Like, just get, call your doctor. Let's get some meds. But he didn't want to go on medication because he's straight edge and didn't want to like, also there's that stigma. If you go on meds, it's going to stunt your creativity mm-hmm. or stunt, make you feel dead inside. And that is absolutely not true. If you find the right mixture of meds that work for your chemistry, mm-hmm. it's a trial and error. Anyways, he learned the hard way and he called me. It was like 10 o'clock at night. And I normally don't have my phone next to me at 10 o'clock at night because I'm not a surgeon and I do need time to just be a person. You but need to I take care of your mental well being as well. Exactly. <laughs> and he called and was crying and said, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't go on this tour. I can't. I'm like, I'm a mess. And his tour manager, his merch person, the merch, the bus, everything was already at his house. And I said, okay, stay in your room. I'll call everyone. And I had to unravel a tour in a matter of an hour. I had everybody leave. I had them get in Ubers. I had them at a hotel by the airport. I booked their flights home. I think we paid his crew maybe for a week just to say like, I'm so sorry. He lost his ass financially. 
I called his mother, who's a nurse. And, and luckily for him, he's got a very supportive family. His mother is one of my most favorite people. Mm. And I called her and I told her what happened. And um, she took action. And um, I called the agent and told him we have to cancel the tour. And he was, of course, not happy and neither were promoters. But, you know, people have to respect that these are artists and they're human beings. Yes. And it's more to them to keep them alive than to sell your tickets. Yes. And I'd love to not care about all of these things and just be business focused and just sell book tickets. But these, this isn't, this isn't a product. Yeah. These are people. Mm -hmm. And when they have a nervous breakdown, you can't be like dance monkey go. Right. You're going to kill them because, because what comes next after that, right? The, right. the pressure would, would, would be, he, it, he wouldn't be able to handle that. Right. So you have to know when to call it and it sucks. Promoters lost a ton of money, you know, I lost the money, agent lost the money based on our investment of the time because we get paid off the, the guarantees and the merch from mm -hmm. the shows, which I didn't care about. I just wanted him okay. Mm -hmm. And he's been rebuilding ever since. And he's learned how to balance his mental health. He has therapist, he's on medication, but it took, unfortunately for him, because he's a bit stubborn, hitting rock bottom before mm -hmm. he would be like, okay, I need medication. Mm -hmm. So- that opened my eyes as well. And because I have that relationship, even the newest artist I picked up, one of the guys hit me up late night on a Sunday and was like, I need someone to talk to. Can you help me find someone to talk to? Mm -hmm. The question, I didn't even ask why. Just said, yeah. What's mm -hmm. the gist? Give me the topic and I'll go. Because yeah. there's different people for different people. And so I got him in touch with Music Cares, which is amazing, amazing nonprofit organization. Everybody should donate to Music Cares. They are an organization that is founded by the Grammys.com and they are there to help music industry in general. Your house burns mm -hmm. down. You can ask Music Cares for help. You file some paperwork and they can, they can potentially help. You're an artist on the road and you can't afford a psychiatrist or a psychologist. You can't afford rehab. They will help you. Wow. They are a fantastic organization and we are very, very lucky that they exist because they've helped numerous artists of mine mm -hmm. find the person that they needed to be paired with mm -hmm. because they didn't have health insurance. Most of these kids don't have health insurance right. and the business doesn't make enough money to enable the health insurance plans. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's challenging. It's very we don't hard. think about all of those different nuances and we will make sure that we put music cares in the show notes for anybody who right. does want to look that up and who wants to donate. You're talking about something that I think is really important that we continue to highlight. And we did so a little bit over the pandemic because everybody, we were like, Oh my gosh, we're all in this together. And we couldn't ignore that people go through stuff because everybody was going through something together. And so I love how you mentioned this. It's so important that we re remember that these people who who we see, that we idolize because of their music, their craft, their creativity, their athleticism, whatever it is, that they are still human, just like you and I. They go through different ups and downs. I mean, they're emotionally wired. They can feel mentally depleted. They just, they're exactly like us. And so what we do though, is we kind of have this, this pedestal that we put them on thinking that 
nothing, nothing could happen to them. And, and then we become demanding of their presence. So yes, somebody who purchased a ticket gets bent out of shape that now the artist can't come. But again, if we could just remember that in all of these different accolades that we celebrate and we enjoy through their gifts and their talents, we still have to remember there's a person behind that. And I think that is so beautiful. You've created this space. I think about this as a mom, when my son has to go out into the world and face different, you know, hardships, challenges, problems, what have you. I always just remind myself that I will be a soft space for him to land because the world is hard and it is demanding. And it sounds like you are that soft space for your artists as well, which is much needed. And I know that they appreciate. Yes, I hope so. I mean, I push them as well. (laughs) They do know that I push them, Mm -hmm. but I do know when to stop. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm wondering if you look back at your journey with uh, Synergy and now alternate side, what are you most proud of as far as far as an achievement or, um, you know, something that you've done well with an, an artist, but what are you most proud of as a music industry veteran and entrepreneur? I am most proud of my consistency in character. No matter what I'm doing, I'm the same person. I never changed because I had a company or I was a day-to-day. I always worked very much. I work very hard and I work very care. I, I, I wear my heart on my sleeve for my artists mm-hmm. and I'll do anything for them, but I'm also not afraid to kick their ass if they're being lazy and to hold them accountable too. This isn't like, you know, mom 101 here, like I am their manager and I manage their business, but I am proud of my character. And if people know me, they know how I am. I'm very passionate. I'm loud. I will get angry and I will yell on the phone at times to people who wrong one of my artists. But at the end of the day, um, I mean, we all do. I I have stayed the same person throughout the years, (laughs) like it or not like it for good or for bad. (laughs) And I think also what I am proud of is the fact that I am a place where alternate side is a home where myself and my business partner, Zach, are enabling managers to have a job that is stable, they're paid well, and they're massively supported. And we help them bring in, we help bring in new business for them because we constantly get, we have different relationships. We know different people. And someone might send a band our way that I can't represent because I'm packed. Mm-hmm. And we pass it down to, you know, one of our other managers and, and, we want to see them grow. We want to see them thrive. We want to see them make a, as much money as they want to. And the fact that that's the result of stumbling through my life over the mm. past however many years is really fucking cool because yeah. it was, I can't believe we have eight people who work here. Like eight people are paid salary and healthcare and have cell phones and their lifeline depends on me and Zach. And I met Zach 10 years ago when he was a day-to-day for me at age 19, right out of college. And I saw that he was a unicorn and then I never wanted to lose him and I never wanted to not work with him. So I made him a business partner and that's how we formed Alternate Side because we wanted something new together. So I'm wildly proud of the fact that, yes, me stumbling through life has now created a home for artists that have managers that truly care about them and a place for managers who share the same ethos as we have to do really great work and be artist advocates here and are making a great living. 
Mm, you know what? That's a lot to be proud of. Absolutely. <laughs> Especially coming from the place where you're like, I don't want to work for anyone and I don't know what direction I'm going, but I'm going to take this huge leap. And that huge leap has paid off big for you, for your team, for these artists, because a very beautiful part of this story is that because these artists work with you, it goes beyond their gifts, their career, their talent. And it really is creating positive impact in their life. That's then going to ripple out into the world around them through their music, but also through their relationships. And that starts with the influence of the people who are holding and supporting their career, their business. And so I applaud you. I applaud you. I applaud Zach, everyone Thanks. over at Alternate Side. I'm so happy to hear that you all have created this space to take care of artists because again, music <laughs> is such a big part of our life. And so we want to honor those people who are creating something so beautiful that we all get to enjoy. So Avanj, thank you so much for your time today. It was such an Thanks. honor to have this conversation with you. And I, again, I celebrate you and all that you all are doing at Alternate Side. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. This has been In the Details. If you like the show, tell a friend. For more shows like this, go to success.com slash podcasts.